Hey guys, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, where I interview the absolute best health and wellness practitioners from across the globe to show you what they do so you can do it too. This is because, like you, I did not always feel that health was easy. I had tried different diets, exercise plans, but often felt misled by an industry that really thrives on you not getting healthy and always spending money on the next new thing. Because of this, I'm getting bare naked on health and pulling back the curtain to show you that being truly healthy is simple. Wherever you are in your health journey, I want to show you that with minimal effort, you can get maximum results and do what you love. Play with your kids, go for a hike, and crush it in your business all while feeling great. To give a kickstart, I encourage you to go over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to access my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach and that the show is really sponsored by you guys. Each of you that works with me that I am able to take on as a client helps me to be able to keep putting out these podcasts for free. So I just want to thank you, each of you, for your love and support. Hey guys, I'm your host, Nick Horowski, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, episode number 121. In today's episode, I interview the shadow himself, Jator Pierre. Be sure to stick around for the end of the show to hear our discussions on dogmas, if we can be 100% present, and be able to find out what really is a fact. Maybe. All right, guys. On another episode of the Bare Naked Health Podcast today, uh, I have, again, returning to us uh, is Jator Pierre. Jator, uh, what's, what's new? What's uh, happening since the last time we spoke? Wow, that's a, that's a big question, my friend. What's Absolutely. happening since the last time we spoke? Uh, let's see. Uh, life is uh, gifted, with, gifted me with many challenges, um, as well as... Uh, perceptual gifts that aren't challenges and the ones that my ego parts deem as challenges uh, sometimes come with a little bit more mm, maybe a little bit more lessons and learning potentially however the gifts that my ego uh, deems as supportive (laughs) to my life uh, seem easier to navigate and uh, potentially less gifts and or less gifts that I perceive, at least. And um, yeah, I got hired by uh, Chris Kresser uh, to be the coach for his clinic, which is super awesome. And yeah, um, here in Berkeley. And I also got hired uh, by him to do um, to be one of the main coaches for his functional health coach program that's coming out in 2018. Uh, so I'll be uh, co-creating that with him as well as teaching uh, for the Crestor Institute and, and working at um, CCFM. So I'm super honored, excited, scared as hell, and uh, <laughs> we'll, see. we'll see what happens next. Well, do you want to share with everybody, because, I mean, I'm a big fan of Chris Crestor, but not everybody knows who he is, what he does. Can you share with them, uh, share with everybody kind of like why that's really such an awesome thing uh, for you to be a part of? Yeah, I'd love to share. Um, 
Well, in my experience of Chris, I've known him for about 10 years or so uh, when I was kind of going through the Czech Institute. I believe it was HLC1 or HLC2, one of the times I repeated that class. There was a, a chunk of the classes about cholesterol, and I was really fascinated by it. So I just started to Google uh, cholesterol, cholesterol myth, trying to find that book by, I think he's a Russian author. I don't remember his name. Anyway, I find this blog. Yes, thank you. I find this blog, and it's called The Healthy Skeptic. And uh, everything there was kind of the, in quotes, latest valid, and that's in quotes too, research around cholesterol. And started to read that blog. It was an unknown blog at the time. And then um, emailed Chris and then put together some of his first talks here in the Bay Area. I believe it was the first three talks he did here in the Bay. And um, he came out, did some talks, and then uh, a few months after that, I invited him to meet up and have some coffee or tea. He had tea, I had coffee. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> we kind of hit it off. Um, I was sharing with him the Czech perspective on exercise, physiological load, uh, assessment and kind of how, from a Czech practitioner perspective, how we deal with exercise as well as encompassing mental and emotional perspectives, gut health, etc. Uh, so we had this great conversation. Uh, he started to refer me clients. Uh, and then he kind of blew up, as you well know, uh, at mm -hmm. least in the functional medicine and integrative medicine world. Um, uh, he's globally known now, probably more so through the paleo world, which he's not, uh, in my experience of him, he believes more in a, a paleo template, not this very strict paleo dogmatic version of paleo. And uh, why I appreciate him, probably um, the top three people uh, that I've ever learned from, studied from, uh, is one I I rarely experience someone who gets globally recognized for what they do for a living who's still willing to say they're wrong later on down the road, uh, willing to change their mind or opinion on something that they had a different opinion on in the past. Uh, for me, that takes an extreme amount of vulnerability uh, to say that in front of a global audience and to recognize that science is always evolving uh, in my opinion, just like everything else. So that's one thing I really appreciate about Chris, uh, at least my experience of him. The other thing I really appreciate is the dude is a beast when it comes to research methodology. And essentially, uh, that's what he loves to do. So he loves to go through research and peel it apart and find research that's more valid uh, and points in a direction uh, with slightly more validity than I would guess somewhere in the neighborhood of 90-plus uh, peer-reviewed research that we hear out there or read out there on PubMed, et cetera, has a tremendous amount of flaws in how it's done uh, and or validated. And there's a researcher at Stanford, interestingly enough, uh, P.A. Londis, 
I believe is his name, and he's a world-renowned researcher. And what's fascinating about him is, which I've learned about this guy through Chris, is he's a researcher who dives into other people's researcher research to find the flaws. And he's written two papers uh, on this, and basically he's come to the conclusion that about 90% of published peer-reviewed research is false. When you start diving into... That's a staggering much, number. <laughs> it's, um, it's unbelievable. It's I mean, it's that number is shocking, and what's even more shocking, what's even more shocking to me about that number is how often people use research to validate their perspectives. However, have not done the groundwork to dive into the research to find out how that research was done, or even if that research is anywhere near valid, and you have this perpetual, you know, um, argument, arguments happening, and people will use other research or back up their argument with research that may may or may not be even valid. And this happens all the time. I mean, all the time. And when you look at uh, some of P.A. Londis' papers, what's fascinating about researching research, which is kind of fun to say, is... <laughs> is um, they've done, researchers have done research on peer reviewers. And this is really fascinating. So they'll get a group of people who are paid peer reviewers. Mm -hmm. They'll give them a paper to review. They'll tell them that there are multiple mistakes in the paper. And majority of the peer reviewers cannot find the mistakes. And then, you know, you take a step back from that. Well, that makes quite a bit of sense because we're human beings. Right. We have an ego. We have bias. We have what we're looking for. And in my understanding and own personal experience, how often are we really 100% present with what's going on in front of us? How many times have we all listened to a song and had to rewind the song to, re to hear the lyrics because we were somewhere else <laughs> not paying attention to the song. Or how many the times have you... over and you just had no idea that you didn't <laughs> listen to it. Right. Or how many times have you been reading a book and you get three pages in and you're thinking, wait a second, where was I? My <laughs> eyes were moving. So this also happens to researchers because they're human beings. So there's so much uh, false research out there that it's amazing. And this is one reason why I appreciate Chris is because he knows that about himself, which is really interesting to consider how he takes that into how he dives into other people's research. He gives voice that he has bias. Uh, and uh, he reevaluates his research, has a research team. So he has many eyes kind of peeling back the layers on any research that he's looking at to validate, um, uh, you know, his practice. And the, the most beautiful thing, I think, for me is that not only does he use research as a part of his practice, he also uses the ancestral lens. So that's another lens that he looks at through health and wellness. And then lastly, he uses his own innate wisdom and what's worked in his practice 
so what's worked for him. So he has these three lenses um, that help guide him to what he deems to be the proper direction in any given moment. And I, I, I mean, I love that, man. It's really helped me start to peel back layers on my own stuff or my own you know, dogma uh, or my own perspective. And when you really start to peel this all back, at least from my perspective, there is very, there is very little that we actually know as human beings. There's much more mystery than there is fact. And there's a beautiful quote, which I'm going to completely ruin, by a guy <laughs> at UCLA, and uh, I'm losing his name too. Um, but the quote was essentially, the chair that you're sitting on represents everything human beings will know as fact, true fact. From the moment we became human beings to the moment that we leave this earth. Okay, so that's the chair you're sitting on. Between the chair, the moon, and back represents everything that will remain a mystery. <laughs> For me, that puts it in. That puts it in very clear perspective. For me, which is, you know, can research guidelines, etc., cetera, uh, be one lens that we look through and can another lens that we look through be curiosity, imagination, wonderment, uh, our own personal experience? And how many clients have you worked with that nutritional dogma hasn't worked? Maybe you've had to prescribe or, or go against exactly what you thought would be dysfunctional for them and yet it creates this beautiful, functional human being. And that's happened to me. That's happened to me personally, and it's happened to me with numerous clients. And I really see that, too. Like, I'll have a patient in the clinic, and they come in, and we're going we're gonna to do, like, some exercise. Like, I've done all my assessments and this and that, and that's where I'll see it a lot of times. Yeah, I agree with the diet, but I notice that I'm more, like, exercise where they just seem like they shouldn't like that. Like, that should not feel good for them. That should not help them. And they do it, and it's like, <laughs> all right, then we're going to add that to your home exercise program now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. It's um, it's fascinating, and that's, you know, what I appreciate about, that's what I appreciate about Chris is I've learned, um, you know, through many people, through Chris, through Paul, through John, um, through Taoism, uh, through Vipassana meditation, I've learned many, many, many perspectives, and uh, I try to take on the perspectives that resonate with me the most and, and try to kind of encompass being my own inner guide, uh, and that's what I appreciate about Chris. That's what I appreciate about Paul. That's what I appreciate about John is, uh, in my perspective of each of those uh, people, they do the same thing. Whether they agree on everything or not, to me, is irrelevant. What is very relevant is that they each are kind of embodying what it looks like to kind of have your own inner guidance, your own inner wisdom, and and um, moving from that place, which is a huge lesson for me and is very, very empowering. And um, it gives me a lot of courage to continue to 
kind of burn my own trail as as I'm doing. So, sure, this, this brings up one of the things that I was thinking about. Uh, I can't remember if it was one of your videos or something like kind of you being like a self-proclaimed weirdo, right? <laughs> and yeah. I, I'm curious, like, what does that mean to you? Because I could see that, like, with some of the things we're talking about, it's just being like, hey, maybe I'm weird, I'm going against the grain, or this doesn't fit with your thoughts, but it fits with mine. Like, what, is, what does being a weirdo mean to you? Man, that's a, I really love that question. Um, yeah, what does being a weirdo mean to me? I guess uh, in this moment what it means is uh, I've experienced many other people to project weirdo onto me. <laughs> so uh, that might be part of it. Uh, maybe I'm taking on uh, other people's projections. Um, another part of being a weirdo for me is um, I'm really – I experience myself to be dogmatic about certain topics. However, I also experience myself to recognize my dogmatism. I'm not sure if that's a word, but I'll use it. Um, to be curious about my own dogma and to perceptually be open to other opinions, other perspectives, uh, communication, compassionate communication, understanding, and uh, maybe for me, which is a weird concept, is agreeing to disagree. Um, what does that mean? Uh, for me, in my experience of life, most of our relationships, most of my relationships growing up, family relationships, friendships, um, and an outward are kind of bundled with this idea of loyalty. Uh, loyalty, being loyal to the family, being loyal to your friends, being loyal to your significant other. And I find that word really fascinating uh, because for me, loyalty has a tinge and or an attachment of fear associated with it. So I'm loyal to you out of fear of loss. Uh, so as an example of the opposite end of agreeing to disagree, if you and I were uh, really good friends and we were hanging out and you had an opinion, let's say, about nutrition and I had a disagreeing opinion, because of our friendship or because of the loyalty that I feel to our friendship, I might hide my disagreement from you out of loyalty and out of fear that if I disagree with you, you won't want to be my friend. We won't fit in and our friendship will dissolve. So for me, part of being a weirdo is moving out of loyalty in my relationships, no matter who they're with, including probably most importantly, the relationship with myself and moving into respect. Uh, and that means voicing what's true for me, even if I'm afraid of loss. Uh, voicing my perspective, voicing my values, um, not from a place of attacking the other person, but from a place of honoring who I feel like I am in any given moment as my truth uh, to create respect uh, between two people, which for me creates a much stronger connection 
Because what respect means to me is that even if you and I disagree and we agree to disagree, we're still homies. And our relationship, therefore, is not based on fear of loss. It's based on respect of connection. Uh, fear might be based on attachment, whereas um, respect might be based on connection. And as I've moved uh, through that in my life, have I lost a tremendous amount of loyalty-based friendships and relationships? Yes. Have I also invited in and opened up to uh, respectful connection? Yes. And one of the examples I have of another person I consider weird is my boy uh, JP, and we have a, a friendship that's based on respect. Um, another weird thing that uh, I might do is, you know, I wear those blue blockers. Like, I'll wear blue blockers to a dinner party at night <laughs> or to the movies at night. And you're um, not talking about the stylish ones that they have now that are like 100 bucks. You're talking about like the 5.99 ones, right? They're like big amber ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really, I, I like um, blue blockers. They have... Um, these white lens ones that are, like, from the 1980s. I, I rock those everywhere I go. <laughs> um, so I guess when I say weirdo, it, it, it really means, for me, representing myself, who I experience myself to be in any given moment, uh, with less fear of people running away. Um, as an example, you know, um, many people on, a, on first dates or second dates, third dates, fourth dates, or throughout the infatuation stage of relationship uh, will hide a lot of aspects of themselves. They'll hide their truth. They'll hide how they feel about certain topics. Um, they'll hide the stuff in the initiation of a relationship and through most of the infatuation phase, in my experience, and, and maybe longer, because we have this underlying need and or desire to be accepted and we want to be with this person or what this person represents to us. So we'll contort and manipulate ourselves, and this is happening on both ends. So I think Chris Rock said it best. When you're first dating someone, you're not meeting them. You're meeting their representative. <laughs> <laughs> so what I try to do in any friendship that I, that I have um, is I'm trying my best currently uh, and for the last five years or so um, to really expose aspects of me that I don't want to expose when I initially meet someone. Uh, whatever things that I've lost relationship about in the past, things that I feel ashamed about, things that I feel vulnerable, vulnerable about, things that are the last things on the planet that I'd want to share with someone. I share that stuff up front because in my experience of doing it the other way, that stuff kind of all bleeds out in the long run anyway. So I'm inviting myself in anything that I do currently is to be upfront and real about who Jator is. And if they run on the first encounter, again, whether that's a friend or, or something else, I'm okay with that because 
in the end of the day, that was going to happen potentially in the future anyways if I continue to hide myself because there will be a breaking point, uh, which I'm guessing everyone that is hearing this has, has experienced where you've hid things, you've manipulated yourself, you've contorted yourself, you've bent your truth, you've omitted things. And then once that kind of infatuation phase starts to dissolve, you start to get a little bit more honest about what you're really into or what your needs are, or what your time needs are, or what your values are, etc. And then that just starts to cause a lot of disruption because people are thinking on both sides, who the hell are you? Because you sure aren't who you presented yourself to be. And I had such rose-colored glasses on, I could even see that you were doing that. So for me, that's a very weird <laughs> way of navigating life, being upfront about who I am. But it seems like it would, to me, that it just save you. And I, I, I think about it like saving time, I guess. I don't know why that's what I'm thinking. But like you said, in the end, all of this is going to come out. Uh, so if you're not open upfront, again, it's, and I think that could be we see all of these these relationships that go on for a little bit, a little bit, and then it just fizzles out. And because all that stuff comes up, but here you're just being able to express yourself without having to hide that uh, for a day, a week, a month, a year, whatever it is. You just kind of go ahead out with it and let yourself be yourself. I would wholeheartedly agree, and. Uh, to draft up your wisdom, uh, for me, where the kind of the difficulty of this comes in, and it, there's still difficult aspects of it for me, for sure, is that most of us as children learned that it's very powerful to hide. We learn that we can control, manipulate, get our needs met, seem powerful through hiding, lying, omitting, etc. And because of that kind of uh, experience that we, most of us have had, and I would go as far dare to say that all of us have had, to let that power go that we've held on to for so long uh, and to also recognize that there were moments in our childhood when we were honest when we were vulnerable, when we were upfront, we were authentic. And many of us were shamed for that. Uh, I can remember a time when I saw the movie Aliens and I was super scared at night that the aliens were going to come and um, get me. And not only were they going to eat me eventually, but they were going to impregnate me with some other alien that's going to bust out of my stomach. <laughs> and I was... I was frightened, really, really scared, my honest truth. And I remember going to my mom's room uh, in the middle of the night and saying, Mom, I'm really scared. Uh, these aliens are going to come get me. Can I sleep in here? And middle of the night, you know, nothing, you know, my mom had some reaction to that, which was, there's no aliens, go back to your room and go to bed. So it's fascinating, nothing against my mom kind of a typical reaction. 
But my interpretation of that moment as a child was, oh, man, if you share your truth, you're going to get shamed. If you share your truth, people are going to get angry. So that's one moment that I learned not to share my truth because I felt a sense of shame about sharing that I was afraid of aliens. And that may be one moment that I started to swallow and hide who I am out of fear of loss of relationship, out of fear of loss of my mom, out of fear of loss of connection or the attachment that I had, out of fear of not being enough for my mom. So these concepts are, in my experience, extremely ingrained in our background and are the, to use the blue blocker metaphor, are the blue blockers that we wear on a daily basis that we're unaware of that we're wearing them. So when we have this background and then when we, you know, step into, let's say, a relationship with a woman and I am unconsciously projecting my mom onto this woman, all of those past behaviors and all the ways that I learned to navigate my mom are going to be projected into that relationship. And that's, one reason for me why it's very, very difficult to kind of fish your way out of that because a lot of this behavior is unconscious behavior. It's not, we're not fully aware that it's even happening. Just, I'm curious, because uh, this kind of came up. <laughs> I, I, I thought of you yesterday because I knew we were going to be having my talk. My son and I are at the park and He's chasing his shadow. So I actually thought of you because I know so awesome. you like to talk about shadow stuff. Uh, but not even oh, my God. Like, what if, so we're talking about, like, being aware of these things. How do you think, how do you think that maybe either if you want to take this yourself or maybe uh, try and, uh, as, a, as a global thing, how maybe most people, as, as far as you see it, uh, do, like, if we just never thought about these things, like, never thought about our projections, never thought about our shadow self, never thought about what was really maybe that meaning behind something that we're looking at, like, what would look different about it? Like, how would that really just change us all? If we just said, eh, Man. screw it, I'm not going to look into it. <sighs> Man, it's such a beautiful question. And um, first I wanted to say that, God, that is such a beautiful metaphor. Your son <laughs> chasing his shadow is, I'm going to, I'm going to take that, man. I'm going to use Go that one. That's, <laughs> that's so awesome. <laughs> oh, why is that? Why is that awesome for me? Uh, the symbolism there for me kind of fits in with your question. Um, chasing the shadow is, uh, in my experience, just like your son experienced, I don't actually know if it's possible. I don't know if it's possible to, to find it, um, which is really interesting. For me, what is possible is that as we're looking into our reactive behaviors. Let's just say that's part of the shadow self. And for me, what shadow means is not negative or bad. 
What shadow means to me is simply things that are in our shadow that we're unaware of. And those could be grand gifts as well. It doesn't need to be negative, at least in my perspective. It's simply aspects of self that we're unaware of. So as you're looking into that, maybe, or how that is expressed in in our lives, whether we're looking into it or not, is kind of, in my perspective, is this. So we all have kind of these emotional triggers that happen, some of us every day, some of us weekly, some of us monthly, et cetera. Whether we're aware of of them or not, we have these underlying reactive behaviors. Okay, so we have underlying reactive behaviors. That is the shadow expressing itself. Now, the difference between someone looking into that and someone not, to be honest, to be extremely honest with you, I don't think there's that big of a difference. So what the hell does that mean? Well, if I was to say that there is a big difference, um, what I'd be saying to you is essentially that whoever isn't looking into their shadow is doing something wrong, isn't on their own journey, or should be following my journey or the journey that I deem necessary for myself. What has changed personally in my life by looking into the shadow or chasing the shadow like your son, which I'm guessing I will continue to chase if there are lifetimes for many, 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 many of them. If not, if they're all parallel, maybe they're all happening right now. Um, What has changed for me is my awareness of my reactive behaviors And because I have some level of awareness of my reactive behaviors and how I navigate life, around some of those, I've been able to change and make more conscious decisions around them because I've gotten clear on what the consequences of the reactive behaviors are, and I've gotten clear on whether or not those consequences are an aspect of my life that I still want to invite in, as an example, because that may be kind of complex. Here's an example. Um, When I was a kid, eight years old, I started to gain a tremendous amount of body fat. My parents got divorced, yada, yada. Fast forward. Some of my shadow behavior uh, was to overeat and or overeat foods that aren't supportive uh, to my wellness, health, and performance goals, what I want to create in my life, how I am as a hockey player, uh, what my body looks like or how I perceive it to look in the mirror, etc. So if I didn't search into the shadow of self and chase it like your son was, my reactive behavior around what food represents to me would continue to happen throughout my life and I never would have lost the body fat or reached the performance goals that I was going after. Or I would have reached them and rebounded back in the other direction and then wondered why I can never reach um, my performance goal or an outcome that I'm looking to create. Because it's the unconscious behaviors that, 
I'm sorry, it's the unconscious mental and emotional attachments that create our daily behaviors. So really, one kind of root of chasing the shadow or looking into the shadow is that it gives you the awareness and knowledge and wisdom to create the behavior change that you might be looking for in your life. Maybe another example would be uh, a man or a woman who is in a physically abusive relationship and, in quotes, can't get out. That would be another example of reactive unconscious behavior that that person is in this environment that is feeding an addiction potentially to shame, potentially to fear, and or potentially to what they associated with love and attention as a kid, and that's unconscious. So they stay in it. And everyone else around them is like, wow, how does this person stay in this situation? There's no way I would stay in that situation. For them, though, at an unconscious level, that situation is actually feeding their emotional needs, their unconscious shadow emotional needs, so they stay in it. And how would they move out of that would be to become aware of what needs are met that they're unconscious to by being in that relationship, potentially where that behavior pattern stemmed from, and then they could ask the question, do I want to change this behavior and or am I willing to accept the consequences, positive and negative, of staying in an abusive, physically abusive relationship, which there are positive and negative from a, um, a value set, and or am I willing to leave this situation and am I willing to deal with the positive and negative consequences of leaving the situation? So by searching into the shadow, essentially what I'm saying is it gives you a higher vibrancy of awareness of yourself if you're having a hard time changing what's currently going on in your life. If you feel that you don't want to look into that, hey, I'm, I'm all for that too because at the end of the day, from my perspective, I do not think it's possible to make a mistake. I don't think it's possible to do it wrong. I don't think it's possible to be in the wrong situation. I don't think that that is actually possible. So because I have a lot of parts of me have that perspective, it reduces the amount of judgment and criticism that I need to project onto others and say that they're in a situation they shouldn't be in, which I think for me is one of my gifts as a coach uh, in my practice is people experience me to have a lot of empathy and compassion for them. One reason I have a lot of empathy, empathy and compassion for them is because I have a tremendous amount in learning more and more empathy and compassion and kindness for myself because I've been through all of these situations, maybe not on a literal level, but through a symbolic lens. I've navigated a lot of effing S-H-I-T in my life and that has raised my awareness of consequences um, and choice and forgiveness of self and compassion and empathy and kindness for self, which then I can have more of that for the outside world because I have it for me. I have no idea if I answered the question. 
<laughs> I no, it, it's this is a tough thing. I think for people to wrap their head around. I was able to follow you that entire time, but in my mind, I still have uh, talking about being present. Like I'm trying to remain present, but if you bring up each of these things, I'm like thinking immediately, like how is this happening in my life? Like where am I going with that? Uh, no, <laughs> totally. I, I really appreciate your answer. Let me, let me start with that. Sure. And I think part of that thing comes down to now, I think one of the things you said before, like, what are facts? What do we know? And it, it almost comes back to me. That's, that's what I kept coming back to when, when you were talking there. Is like, okay, are all of these things that he's saying 100% facts? And it's like, I don't know. That's Jatoy's experience. And a lot of them I can relate to. Like, so for me, I'm, I'm like, I'm not saying, but I'm trying to think of that other side of it because this is something that really does just go so in depth and you can't just, I mean, some people, I'm sure, I shouldn't say you can't just, you, you probably can just completely get away with it, away from it, but that's not how my mindset is. That's not how your mindset is. And I think a lot of people are exploring these things. So, to just eh, let it go and just say, no big deal. Well, that might not always be the case, though. Yeah. Um, a couple things uh, come up for me. Um, first thing that comes up is um, one reason uh, that you'll notice, at least in my experience, which I noticed too. In fact, while I was speaking, I was not. <laughs> I wasn't even present. I don't know <laughs> where that came from. So let's just let's just break that down real quick for fun. Tor had no idea what he was just saying. So I'll, I'll re-listen to this to listen to myself because <laughs> everything I just said was for me. <laughs> okay, so that's first piece. The second piece is when the ego parts hear things that don't fit into your current value set or system, it immediately creates confusion and or shuts down the ego so you can't even hear it. It just disassociates. It's like, whoa, that is, what the hell just happened? And it happens to me too. So that's one piece that I want to kind of give voice to. I'm, I'm in the trenches with you, homie. Um, the second piece that I wanted to give voice to, which I really appreciate you bringing up, is kind of that flip side of the coin. What if these aren't facts? Well, my friend... I've got a really confusing statement for you. Maybe. None of it is facts. <laughs> who, who knows? I mean, you're so dead on. I only have my experience. I only have uh, my stories. I only have my projections. I only have my influences that I've learned through in life. I only have that. And this is where we get back to kind of this communication piece. Uh, I like compassionate communication as a heading. That's where this weirdo really comes out is I don't I, – most of me does not believe that there are any facts. Most of me does not believe anyone knows what the hell they're talking about, including myself. And ultimately, 
the only guru that is available to each of us is the guru that resides inside of us because we are making up we are making up our reality we are making up our perspectives we are making up all of it based on our experiences of life we are creating everything that you see internally and externally to yourself so will your philosophy be different than mine i freaking hope so and some at some point in my life this little blurb came to me where it came from i don't know probably some little boy in me that wanted to make it up and at the end of my uh email signature i put in um quote a capital a way so a way and what does that mean for me a way simply means i'm giving voice to the way that i found to navigate life and the way that works for me is simply a path of 9 billion possible paths paths on planet earth and they all lead to the same place so if i can take that as a uh, way to navigate life then i can be much more open to other people's perspectives other people's experiences other people's values other people's ideas and i can really connect and hear them rather than listen and then need have the need to prove and defend my perspective against theirs just so one of the things that I, i've heard you talk about i think um on a podcast or a video uh was paying attention to yourself as like a spiritual practice or meditation. And as we're talking about this, I can't keep I keep coming back to this. But I want I'm curious your thoughts on can we ever not be fully present with ourselves? Like as as we're going deeper and deeper down rabbit holes here, I'm thinking about it like <laughs> we can only be present with ourselves 100% of the time. I mean, if we're not, are we here at all in that? Man, you got some freaking bomb questions today, man. This is awesome. <laughs> you know what, man? That is um I love that question. Uh because I I only have more kind of BS to share about it and <laughs> <laughs> and for me, quite honestly, why I love that is because it it I 100% agree. And what I mean by that is there is always an aspect of self that is 100% present somewhere. It's just the question is it 100% present <laughs> with this conversation? So we're having a conversation, I say something, it sparks an idea in your head and or confusion or some other experience. And then you leave this conversation inside of yourself and you go into where does this happen in my life? Where is this happening with uh my relationships? So you're present with that thought. However, a part of you is not present to the in quotes present conversation. So the interesting thing for me is yes, I agree. We're always 100% present at 
in some sense of that word, somewhere in our internal reality. For me is, the question then comes up is, can we be, can part of us be the observer of aspects of self not being present in the conversation and being somewhere else? Because there's another aspect here, which for me is, some people call it higher self, some people call it source, some people call it the observer. Can you bring observance into one part of you not present in conversation, one part of you out there uh, thinking thoughts about some other aspect of what's going on based on what you heard? And can you also allow the participant of life to have its participation, which is the participation for me would be you're off somewhere thinking about something else which you're present with, what's going on in my life, at the same time, can you bring in the observer? So then you have this kind of meeting of higher self and lower self. And I don't mean that from a kind of an arrogance perspective. I just mean the parts of us that are human being and connected to the earth and the parts of us that maybe are spirit, uh, if you want to call it that, and connected to this, um, these, these uh, higher aspects of observing self. So from my perspective, yes, there is a part of us that is always 100% present. However, are we ever 100% present in the present moment? My answer would be no, because in the present moment, most of us are looking through an extreme amount of lenses of the past, so we can't ever see reality as it truly presents itself which what I'm really saying is I don't think the ego or the human being can actually experience absolute presence, experience versions of that. As an example, if you and I watch a car accident, you're going to have your experience of that car accident that you share with the police. I'm going to have my experience of that accident that I share with the police. We were both present for what that represented to us. There'll be a third story. The third story is the absolute truth, which neither of us can comprehend. I'm partly on board, and I think where I'm losing the tutorial, and because I want to understand kind of where you're going with this a little bit more. So I absolutely agree. Like, if we would see, I mean, any incident, a car crash, whatever, we're both going to see something different, and something different than that is probably actually what happened. So you said, like, not able... Uh, I guess I'm looking for clarification. Like, you said, can't be 100% absolute present in the current moment, right? Mm-hmm. Could you maybe say that in a different way or uh, expand upon yeah. that a little bit more? Because I think that's where I, I feel like uh, I've been able or in my perception at least, to be there. So maybe I have been, but I'm curious to see why it is that you uh, feel that we can't be 100% present in that exact moment. For sure. I'll take a stab at it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so from from my perspective, um, one reason uh, that one cannot be 100% present in any given moment. Uh, 
I'll, I'll give you maybe more kind of a ground grassroots example, potentially. So you're aware that right now there's all kinds of signs, signals, colors uh, that your brain and eyes are filtering out so you can, in quotes, see. Are you aware? Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. If your brain allowed everything in, do you recognize that you would not be able to see? I follow you. So because of that, there has to be distortion. We're in a we're in a system that has to distort reality so we can navigate it to the best of our ability. If we let it all in at once, I don't know that the nervous system could handle it. I, my guess would be that you would die on the spot. It's like a dog whistle. You can't hear it, but a dog can. Is it there <laughs> or not there? It's there, but you're not aware of it. So if you take that as a metaphor and then apply that to the emotional state, the mental state, the spiritual state, the intuitive state, and the physical state, now maybe you're, maybe there's this, you know, you can see this overwhelming ocean of information that has to be filtered out or else we would not be able to navigate life, at least in this form. And this is why, back to that idea of why the chair represents everything we will know, and between the chair, the moon, and back represents everything that will remain a mystery because it's incomprehensible in a human form because we have filter systems. That's how we're designed. That so everything is, everything is distorted, everything. Which just means it's not a good or bad thing. It just means that you, <laughs> we, can't experience the, we can't experience the absolute. That's... that's That's overwhelming. Uh, As an example from the Matrix, the first Matrix, remember the end when Neo got shot and he died? Yes. That's a beautiful metaphor for um, (laughs) having kind of the totality of the experience. He dies. Then what happens when he comes back? He's the one. And what does he see now? He doesn't see what he saw, right? He sees the code of the Matrix now. But he wasn't aware of the code of the matrix before because he couldn't even see it because there was a filter system that inhibited him from seeing the absolute truth of the environment that he was in, including himself. But when he died, he then could have the absolute experience. I'm in one of those states right now where it's like, I'm just trying to figure out what it is. And I know I can't even like consciously figure it out, but it's one of those like, so what's around me right now? Like I'm in a little hole in my basement. Like that's where I do my recording. It's like what else is happening around me right now? Like in this small area that I don't even know. I'm not even aware of. No, that actually, but really though, that helped a whole lot. That 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 explanation of it. Like now I'm definitely on board with the the way that you said that. I was thinking about it um, in a more simplistic fashion. Uh, and I think then when mm-hmm. you said, like, the physical, the emotional, the mental, the spiritual, and trying to wrap my head around all of those and all at the same time, now I see how, uh, at least I'm not aware of how that would be possible to bring all of that in <laughs> 100% at the same time. And or that I 
like you said, I don't know that I would necessarily want to because that might be a little bit much. <laughs> I, I would agree. It might be a little bit much. It's kind of, it's it's trying to wrap your, like, try, some of these concepts, honestly, in my experience is the linear mind cannot wrap around it. It's almost, you have, it, my invitation is, it's moving it into your heart. It's an experience that can't be voiced. It's like you try to wrap your head around infinity. Well, good luck with that. (laughs) But if you move infinity into your heart and say, I want to experience infinity, I want to experience what that's like, then you have a feeling and you have an experience. And that can't be shared through word. Word, I mean, if you look at words themselves, words are essentially vessels to hold energy. So as soon as you try to give voice to an experience that you're having, you're already distorting the energy by trying to encompass it in a, in a word. It's why a picture holds a thousand words and singular <laughs> words hold a word. <laughs> Check out that movie Arrival, man. Awesome, awesome movie from this perspective of how these aliens express themselves through symbolism. Super deep, for me at least. <laughs> well, sorry, this has been uh, a mind-expanding conversation, and I just want to say thank you for that. Uh, and please, share with everybody where they can find more about you. I know fairly recently you've uh, had the whole website redesigned, everything. Uh, if you want to share that and uh, where else everybody can find you Yes, yes. Thank you, brother. Um, it was an honor to be invited back. And um, my website is wehlc.com, which has been revamped, which is really fun to do and uh, express who I believe myself to be <laughs> currently. And um, and then uh, I have a YouTube channel, which is Explore of Jatour. Uh, and I always appreciate subscriptions. I think I'm somewhere in the neighborhood of 500 now, um, which is deflating to parts of my ego, and to other parts, I rationalize it as I have quality viewers. (laughs) 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 So that's fun. And then I get to compete and compare with my boy, JP, who gets millions and millions, which is even more fun. Oh, man, well... Tutor. Uh <laughs> I, I, I certainly appreciate that. I, I did check out I've been checking out the new website uh recently since we've been getting ready to talk and a lot of cool stuff on there. I do I must say I like the look of it. Uh I I, I just like it, as I feel like it looks like you in a website. It's I could describe it any better <laughs> way. Um so that that's that's definitely a compliment to whoever designed it for you there. Uh and then at YouTube, everybody make sure to go check out the videos. Uh, puts up some really awesome stuff, and I think a lot of thought-provoking stuff that we've been talking about today. Yeah, can I share um, uh, two last outros? Please do, please do. Um, Two of the most powerful things that I've found for myself uh, to consider, uh, and please know that everything that that was shared and anything that I share is always, there's always the word, would you be willing to consider before it. It's not, it's simply my perspective and that's it. Um, 
So the ideas are, um, would you be willing to notice on a daily basis what you don't notice? And would you be willing to be curious about your thoughts, your perspectives, your ideas, and your stories on a daily basis? I think that's a big one to end with, Tutor. Thank you so much. Thank you, brother. I'm I'm, I'm seriously humbled, and uh, my heart was super warmed when you asked me back. And uh, sometimes uh, parts of me need a little external validation too, brother. I appreciate it. Absolutely, Tutor. Hey, enjoy the rest of uh, your weekend, and certainly uh, certainly be uh, contemplating a, a lot of things. <laughs> I'm excited <laughs> to uh, really uh, check out a couple of these thoughts, so thank you for all of that. Yeah, thank you, brother. All right, have a great day. You too, man. Bye-bye. Later. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to head over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to check out the show notes for today's episode. While you're there, go to my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach and the show is sponsored by you guys. Each of you that I work with helps me to be able to put out podcasts like this for free. So thanks again for your love and support. Finally, if the show has helped you out in any way, please head over to iTunes to give the Bare Naked Health Podcast a positive comment and five-star rating. This really goes a long way in getting the word out with how simple health can be and helping to share the podcast with others. So thank you.